Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello and welcome to a very special re-recorded episode of the Sales Office Mystified podcast. Uh, Anthony and I recorded this a couple of weeks back. We had some technical issues, but Anthony's back. So this is actually the first one. <laughs> um, and Anthony's intro, I was, um, I did a more professional intro, I think, in the first one we recorded. But actually, the, 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 the less professional intro is that Anthony has a wealth of experience, both in sales marketing and kind of entrepreneurship, right? Absolutely. Um, and this winding path has led him to become director of sales operations at TapClix. And the t-shirt that you can see, actually, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see the t-shirt, but there's a <laughs> the t-shirt that Anthony's wearing says, meet me at the bar graph. And this, apparently, is TapClick's uh, motto. So with that in mind, Anthony, let's get, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. It's a great pleasure to be here again. Uh, things happen, and that's the nature of ops is uh, problem solving and coming up with great solutions. Exactly. So more about TapClick later, more about that motto later. Um, <laughs> first question is, how did you actually get into sales operations from your kind of extensive career in sales marketing and entrepreneurship? Sure. Honestly, I believe a lot of it was uh, kind of serendipitous. Uh, my first job uh, working in a sailboat yard on the coast of North Carolina, uh, I just took it as a summer job and just figuring out how to be helpful in this job. But looking back now, I see a lot of operations foundation in it of ensuring inventories are properly planned, uh, making sure that there's no slack in the system, making sure that we're keeping everything on schedule. And when the, the things do hit the fan, you know, keeping calm and figuring out, okay, what do we have? Where do we need to be? And how do we get between there and here? Um, and I drew a lot of experience through other roles as well, working in uh, online payments as an AE and CSM, uh, making just people management, uh, looking at data and figuring out how to tell the story. A, a, a lot of uh, my journey has taken from there. Um, and when I was tasked with taking on the SMA and uh, general 
uh, sales operations at TAP. It was something that uh, when you have any business, especially one that's in transition, acquiring uh, systems, making technological migrations, you just need somebody who can kind of take a step back and look at the forest, not just the trees. And I think that that's really what drove me to uh, thriving in this role. Um, I think you, you just listed off three things that I think describe sales operations really well. Um, so it was people management, looking at data, and telling a story. Absolutely. Would you say they're like the, the three core skill sets that you need? 100%. Um, I'm not a mathematician or engineer by any means, um, but it's objective thinking and not just being able to understand, but to be able to communicate as well as uh, something I use a lot in my sales teams to even onboard them and and get them uh, up to speed is I use the analogy of you're a doctor and then you're a pharmacist. And when you're a doctor first, you have to gain the trust of those around you. You have to establish your expertise. You have to understand the symptoms and then prescribe and gain an ownership in and get the those around you to trust in this solution. Uh, sometimes you have to adjust your regimen, but you have to be very detail-oriented, very organized. And being able to truly understand progress is incredible. Uh, it's, it's more of a sailboat than a race car. And a lot of people look at these amazing companies and be like, how do I get to that point? You can't get to that point if you don't go through the journey. And on that, talking about the journey, you, you mentioned about having the opportunity to become director of sales operations at Tactics. Did you come externally into the organization to become that, or did you have a different role in the business? <laughs> Originally, um, funny story, I was living in Bogota, Colombia for seven years. I met my wife uh, while I was in the States. Uh, we made a decision because she's a lawyer for the judicial branch down there. Um, i businessman, I'll go down there and kind of restarted my career and went through a different type of sales and uh, career journey than most 26-year-olds would. Um, And I was in a position where I was tasked uh, through an outsourced uh, position uh, as the personal assistant to the president of Taplix. But it was a lot more than just calendar management and appointment setting. because uh, we were trying to build out our inside sales team and to uh, have that kind of strategic management, understanding how do we design the product uh, as I had a human-centric design background. How do we understand taking the marketing to tell that story? How do we position that and develop it for these different networks and markets that we're looking at? And after coming home to the States, for the holidays, I saw family, I saw friends, I saw the opportunities, and I was like, you know, maybe it's time to go home. And I gave my notice, and Colby, big shout out to my president, is literally the most genuinely nice person in the world. Uh, took the news kind of hard when he got notice of it, texted me, and was like, call me right away. 
let's talk what's going on. Um, and he said, what if I were to give you an internal opportunity with us, keep working with us, keep figuring out because you're doing a really great job and we don't want to lose you. And that was really something that it, it got me, it, it really hit me, you know, as, as that value. And in a lot of companies, sometimes people feel like a cog in the machine. And it was something that seeing, hey, you know, I am driving value. And so uh, he knew he wanted, we both knew uh, I was doing great managing operations, especially um, the Colombian team down there. They're a critical part of our team um, for BDR and market research. Um, actually going down for a few weeks uh, Sunday uh, to be on the ground and uh, take stock of what's going on. Um, and uh, he asked me, what would you like your title to be? And I said, something that reflects my skills and value, but isn't pretentious. So that's how we came to director of sales ops. That's how we got there. <laughs> uh, okay, let's focus on tablets now. The current sales ops tech stack that you guys are using. It's pretty streamlined in terms of what I use mostly day to day. I tend to be a little bit more fiscally conservative, especially when it comes to tech stacks. I know they can get bloated and I really look for a, a strong ROI, but also usability. And are you going to, from day one, see value, but as you get deeper and more advanced as a user, get more and more out of it? So I would really attribute it to three main um, platforms that we use, which, uh, ever, as most people, Salesforce, um, plugged into that is Outreach and also Chorus. And I love the trifecta of the three because though they kind of take a little bit of tweaking, it's not totally set out of the box. It, that trifecta can give you the full 360 degree view of what is the actual client information that you need? Uh, what, how do you engage them? through uh, emails, through different sequence steps of social interaction. I'm a big person for social selling. Um, and Chorus, uh, from an enablement side, in ops, it really is so intelligent and takes the pain out of uh, coaching and ops management by noticing little tiny things of filler words uh, next steps planning, are, are, are you kind of doing a weaker type of follow-up close or are you setting the, the success steps in this call? Um, talk ratios are huge. Uh, the science behind how, who talks how much depending on the call and interaction, it, it's mind-blowing what can be done. And by balancing these three together, um, we've been able to build a kind of an ops culture, uh, not so much sales, but even just revenue operations from the cradle to grave uh, what we call the sales bow tie uh, rather than a funnel uh, with the LTV factored in with success back to marketing. Uh, these three absolutely link together and I get a lot of proposals and I love having conversations and seeing what's new. But right now, this is my bread and butter go-to. Awesome. So you have 
the VRM big database, you have the failed enablement with outreach and then tracking all phone calls and everything with chorus. Exactly. Awesome. That's, I, I like how you've kept that really simple. You've taken solid tools that do one thing really well and you've tied them together. And now I assume you're just improving the, those integrations and improving how you use those tools. Exactly. And I got to give a shout out to the teams uh, uh, that are account managers on each of them. Uh, they really, especially with chorus and outreach, they have this kind of user centric design, a great way of educating and enriching the use of it. Um, I actually did get early access to the coaching platforms of course, and uh, building a coaching culture is something that I'm really big on, not just me to you as a rep, but building peer and individual culture for continuous improvement. And they've already started building that in, and I'm just so on fire with it. Um, gone are the days of the boiler rooms, in my opinion, is just like pounding phones and just law of averages. It, it's about really understanding who you're talking to, how you speak to them, and how you engage them um, with a little bit of kind of personal flair and, and just genuine nature. I, I'm very notorious for saying, if you wouldn't read or engage with this, then nobody will. And sometimes I get people who are like, I don't read anything. And I'm like, well, then maybe you should be writing content. <laughs> but I always love just... Being, being real and having a conversation. And it, it's amazing what conversations can do where proposals and white papers sometimes can do, but in reality, everybody is a human being. And if you connect on that human level first, which is driven by the data, I can pinpoint in what works, what doesn't work. And these three, absolutely, they deserve all the credit. Sure. Um, how are you dealing with data quality specifically in Salesforce at the moment, especially with all this information coming from those two different tools? It's, it, it's actually, um, we actually went through a very hard type of quarter of merging Salesforces. We had two different separate Salesforces. We had so many different uh, marketing research uh, stacks coming in of personal list, uh, media radar was one we were using. Uh, we were using LinkedIn Navigator, all of these different sources. Uh, everybody knows Salesforce doesn't have a native deduping tool in it. Um, that's a major data quality issue. Uh, Pardot scores, depending on how you tweak it, it's, it's something where it's about developing that kind of ops culture across the organization, having regular, uh, not just checkups and auditing, but really getting to the root of, if this is like a bell curve, like what is like 60 to 80% of our issues? And most of the time, it's very simple to kind of pinpoint and minimize it. And then once you master that, and really drill it into the onboarding and coaching culture for the data teams, then you can then focus in more and more and more honed to get that scrubbing better. And, and it's about not siloing 
the organizations. It has to be a constant conversation about who is working where, what tools are working, what aren't, and not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Got it. Um, Salesforce not having a native do deduping tool. Um, yes. Why do you think Salesforce haven't built that? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, they have them in their marketplace, which I think is a very much, it, it's worked out well financially for them. Um, I think it's a great business model if, if you're looking to uh, develop that type of a culture of like, hey, this is Salesforce. It's more, it's not a CRM. It's more of an operating system in a way. And that's okay for them. But honestly, for me as an end user, I would pay absolutely a premium in the baseline price to just have that because it, that, that's the one thing about a database is you have to have your key parameters and then a way to ensure that your database is properly maintained. And every organization is different. Um, maybe you have multiple different lines of different deals and it's okay to have the same information across certain ways, but eventually there has to be a nexus and there has to be a key core parameter. And honestly, if I were the one doing the product design, if we could go back in time to the original Salesforce, um, I would have that as one of the foundations of the product itself is a native deduping tool. If you want, you can switch it off and plug in your own and maybe you have your own way of doing it. But from my conversations, uh, I was at ramp uh, in Boston run by insight squared a few weeks ago and talking with everybody that was like their number one gripe is like, this is one thing that drives us all nuts. And that pain as an ops manager just kind of shouts out to me. Yeah. Um, okay, let's switch from the CRM into looking at your, your reps. So four sure. questions. <laughs> what current, like what's the size of a sales team? Is there more than just you and the sales operations team? What's the ratio between? Um, uh, absolutely. My, my partner in crime, honestly, is our uh, director of sales enablement, Dave Drew. Major shout out to him. Uh, he... I have ideas and philosophies and he knows how to put it into structure and context and writing out curriculum. Uh, I'd, I like, I would be a great just off the cuff type of professor to drive great conversations and find insights, but he really knows how to translate this into standardized materials. It's not super, super sexy looking that we have somebody that kind of, makes it look prettier and more structured in terms of formatting. Um, but if there's anybody that from a data side, from a sales side to build out curriculum, uh, he's definitely the one on that. I'm a little bit more on the creative side in terms of that, but a major shout out to him for assisting with the sales ops. Um, Roger Flores, uh, who's managing our uh, remote operations uh, down in Columbia and uh, Akila Shpai uh, from our Hyderabad office. These are like kind of my go-to people in terms of managing our operations. Cool, and then how many fit, like BDRs, SDRs, and AEs? Um, we have 
10 BDRs in Colombia, I believe four in Hyderabad, one in our office right now in Boston. We're building out our U.S. sales team. And for SMA, we have two uh, AEs right now working on the SMA side. Um, four in the India office um, and enterprise, I believe we have another four in total working on uh, 250 employees and larger. Um, as you're rolling out say, a new tool, when you had that new access to the coaching on Chorus maybe, how do you get these people in these teams to want to do the new thing? It's one of those things that I've been in so many different orgs where they had the kind of classical corporate sense of the directors and executives and VPs, we're invested in it. So now you have to be invested in it. And I know the resistance. I was the resistant one. I was the one that's like, I hate this. I don't want it. Um, and sometimes it kind of works out that way. Uh, Anybody who's used Facebook for years, I have since 2005, any major change, everybody was resistant and then eventually they get over it. But when you're working with a sales organization, any downtime, any resistance is lost revenue. And so what I tend to do is when I'm making these decisions, when I'm going through the trial, I run a true pilot study. I take key stakeholders from each different role and profile and get them in the room and get their impressions. Uh, I lead the training on it, how to use it, what are the tips, what are the tricks, and take an objective poll of like, not do you like it, but do you see yourself using this? Does this drive value? Does this solve a pain that you have? And you have to be organized with this. Um, I made reference to uh, human-centric design, uh, which is a beautiful design principle. Um, and I absolutely love using it because it, it has you go through a day in the life of the person you're designing for, involve them in the design process, and then doing constant contact to kind of check up and see, is this working? If you're resisting it, why are you resisting it? Is it not working? Does it need to be tweaked? In that way, you're going to have a much lower churn rate on your own technology. You're going to have a lot greater investment from day one. Uh, I think there are a lot of really great tools out there, but I think sometimes being in the ivory tower, we make these decisions and it may be the right fit or it may not be the right fit because we didn't have that initial conversation. And it may be the flashy new tool on the road and maybe everybody's doing it, but everybody, if everybody's jumping off a bridge, you know, it may not be the right thing to do. So you have to look at your org, you have to take the time, and it, it, it's kind of like the analogy of like you're, you're spending, saving pennies to spend a dollar. Um, I absolutely prefer to take a few hours, sit down, go through a design process with my team, get their investment and excitement and feeling over this, rather than to shove something out and then make it fit. 
Got it. Um, shifting track slightly, when you have, you, you mentioned you're heavily hiring in the US and you're scaling the US team. Um, do you already have a process in place for onboarding these new salespeople? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, obviously, uh, everybody uh, kind of eats dirt their first six months in sales. I, I've gone through it so many times, and it's not just culture that you have to adapt to. It's going into what is the actual sales process like for this org or this product or this industry. Uh, how do you uh, get used to the tools? How do you get used to what you are selling and product knowledge and ramping that up? And even more so, how do you establish that, hey, I don't just represent this company. I'm here to solve a problem for you and establish that. So it's a process of product knowledge, uh, company knowledge, market understanding, um, teaching them how to establish their own personal brand and to really get them off the ground with that. And I always have this idea in the first few months, obviously, I can't do this with everybody every single day. But in those initial frustrating days of being in a new role, I have two questions that I always ask my new reps. Did you have a good day? And did you learn something? And just drilling that in, you establish the habit of them of, hey, I have an open door to give a gripe. If I had an issue, we could talk about it right here, right now. And if they're constantly learning something new and repeating it back, they're more likely to retain that knowledge rather than here you go, here's a phone, here's a computer, go sell. And in three months, I'll talk to you and see what's up. Uh, you have to crawl, walk, run in an organization. And in those early stages, that type of onboarding culture that's standardized but personalized, uh, I find that even when you are in the hiring process, you have to look for candidates who not just have a rock star performance, uh, but also coachability. And is this person going to be able to be onboarded quickly? That runway is going to be there, but any way that you can standardize, shorten, get the investment and excitement of that person while the iron is hot, absolutely take it. Got it. So the two questions are, did you have a good day and what did you learn today? Exactly. Got it. Because that's just going to be reinforcing, I guess, positivity. They look for positive things to say, then also the learning because they'll come back to you. Exactly. And also it helps cut down on burnout too. That's the one thing that I – for so long in my sales career, especially when I was a CSM, I don't have much share to lose, but uh, I did kind of lose a lot just thinking about work after hours. And it's kind of my way of telling them, hey, it's okay to switch off now. It's okay to not be thinking of this. Recharge, rest, live your life outside, and then come back and that's our close in in that way and then you do like a morning stand-up get ready and be able to do that so i want my people to retain and recharge with what they know 
but I also want them to be able to switch off and not have that kind of anxiety of, oh, I didn't hit my demo quota today. That's yesterday. Let's focus on you enjoying your time and getting back and learning from it, not throwing it out. But that was yesterday. This is today. And uh, kind of like I was watching this morning, the ICC semis of India and New Zealand, you know, every, every, every at bat is another at bat, you know, and if you got a deficit, just perform more at the end. So now you, it's a new day, you've had your stand up, you have this fresh sales team in that haven't been thinking about work one night. How are you currently making them more productive during the day? Sure. Um, Productivity is, for me, not nitpicking on what could be, what's wrong. It's positioning of, here's an opportunity of where we could go better, and then capping it off with the good news at the end. Hey, this is where you're improving. Your handle times are down. Your engagement is up. The sequences are getting more traction in this. I don't take the good news, bad news cycle. I try to flip that because it's one thing to, to have like, okay, I got the good news, but you know, the bad news is coming. And so it kind of brings the sales out. And a lot of times in sales works, uh, it's all about like, are you a rock star or are you not? And I've seen so many good reps quit because they just felt like they weren't cutting it. And everybody has times where maybe the, the roadmap is a little longer. Um, maybe your funnel's not so productive. But if I hear you have a really awesome call, I'll go ahead and just kind of send them a little Slack message or pull them aside and say, hey, you know, I just heard this one specific thing and you did really well. And I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am to have you on the team. And I've seen in a complete turnaround from reps that were just about to quit into top performing reps just because of that little thing. It's not all commissions. It's not all president's club and trips. It's about those day-to-day conversations. And when you do have to have, hey, this is something we can improve, they're more likely to listen to you if you're not just a negative Nancy. I think that that Slack message sounds brilliant. Really grateful to have you on the team. That must have it. Like I can imagine that having a really, really good impact. Um, I even do it sometimes. Uh, actually, sorry. Uh, if I know somebody's kind of a little bit more introverted or not wanting to be called out, good or bad, I'll just take a little post-it with a Sharpie and I'll put it under their coffee mug and just write a little note like that. And I literally had one of my reps like a few days later finally noticed it and just picked it up and just gave me a nod. Like that, that, I had so many people who helped me along the way. It's just that kind of paying it forward that I really, I love and, and, and it really drives performance in the team. Yeah. Um, Okay, shifting onto KPIs, how are you currently uh, measuring or tracking the progress of your reps? First and foremost, I wouldn't be a good rep or sales ops manager if I wasn't looking at MRR and the 
almighty revenue and gross profit. Um, but we also look at the total lifetime value. Um, how, where are we positioning in terms of the negotiation? Are we going for the kill top level revenue that's most likely to churn or are we kind of going a little bit too low just to get the close? Um, what is the life cycle of the MQL to close? How are we handling this? How many leads are just going stale? And it, one thing, I, a lot of people, I even had one a few days ago where um, I was just doing a preliminary conversation. The guy wanted a demo with me and he sent over some questions about the organization and I haven't even had a conversation. Like I'm not going to, you know, show all my cards right away. I want to see maybe this is worth it and I'll open up. If I see value, I'll be transparent as possible. And because I didn't, send over the information. He just canceled the demo. It's like, it's not worth my time. I was just like, really? Um, It's about as much them getting to know you as you to know them. And so what I really strive with my team is when is a no and not now? And knowing how to do that, knowing how to re-engage it, knowing how to use proper technology um, in terms of that, in terms of if you have a lead that you think is going to go stale, but you, you set a calendar event 60 days in the future, that drives me more value as a manager than it does to just be like, okay, junk, junk, junk. I, I, I don't believe in junk. And maybe it was absolute like test, test at test.com. Um, that's okay. That's junk. But if they're saying, well, we use, we use uh, Zoom instead of Uber conference. And that's not a junk. That's a not now. And it's a time to put your consultant's cap on and stay in touch and see, hey, what do you like? What do you not like? What do you, would you like to see that you're not seeing right now? Um, activities are something that we look at heavily too. And a lot of sequences, I see people even using uh, outreach, uh, they just use emails. And this is the social age. The way that you get in into people's minds is not through their inbox. Um, I'm a very power uh, social user, uh, tagging people in an article, uh, knowledge sharing, commenting, interacting, even just a profile view. Uh, people are vain. They like vanity stats. And hey, who looked at me? Oh, whoa, it's Tom. I haven't talked to him in forever. Um, and that also builds uh, referrals as well, which is another important track uh, that I look at is how does the rep's personal branding and management of the account drive the value? Because referrals are honestly the cheapest, cheapest form of marketing possible. Um, but most people don't realize who is unhappy or who is super excited unless we send out like some survey, but you can see it in the data. You can see it in how many clicks they take, how many opens they do, whether when you look at their profile, they look at yours. It's all about these subtle communication steps that when you work this into your activities, it will definitely drive the the, uh, dollar down a lot more. And also, um, 
in terms of KPIs, I've even started implementing in our team a coaching culture of not just my scoring of you and your abilities, but how do you score yourself? How do you score your peers? And developing kind of uh, contests that build on that and incentivize it. But at the end of the day, it is going to be driving those metrics that I want to see. Pretty comprehensive set of metrics. Uh, Thank you. If you had to choose one to measure sales rep performance, which would you choose? Ooh. I'd have to honestly say, I'd, I'd have to say leads conversion more than anything. I don't care how many steps it takes to close a lead, it, but, but if you get a lead, I want you to follow up until they say, don't speak to me ever again. It, it, it's about not being aggressive, but more assertive. And that's something I have to really drive into people is there's a delicate balance between the two. Um, but if you're actively listening, you can turn a pipeline that you would put as 50% junk, uh, probably down to 25 to 10, if you do the right follow-up on that. And that would be probably my favorite of all is how many am I giving you? How many are you making yourself? And how many are eventually converting, whether it's 60, 90, enterprise sales, six to 12 months, and people get frustrated in three. Um, so it, it, it's all about pipeline management. That's my biggest uh, KPI. Got it. Um, and finally, I know there's a couple of people you want to shout out here. Um, for the audience, um, Anthony actually has his own podcast, which has quite an interesting concept. Um, so the question is, who uh, has inspired you or taught you the most about sales ops, yeah. but also sales and marketing? Because I know you have a background there. Jeez, uh, there's so many of them. Uh, uh, John Buchan of Charm Offensive, obviously, is one of my favorites in terms of uh, creative uh, marketing emails. He's an absolute rock star. Wrote a drunken email, woke up the next morning, read it, thought, hey, this is pretty good. Sent it to... 20 to 30 of the top brands of the world and made CMOs laugh and now runs his consultancy, teaching others how to do it. Um, rockstar guy, uh, just launched his own podcast. Um, Gary Vinerchuk, honestly, huge fan of Gary V. I know some people see him as a kind of self-promoting person, but he's actually quite humble and has taught me a lot about humility and hard work and empathy um it really understanding how to truly communicate how to demonstrate your value how to really engage with clients and understand maybe it's not what you're selling but what you can deliver to them is the biggest issue um uh satish bala my latest guest on uh the podcast uh Lifelong serial entrepreneur, marketer, crazy, crazy life story himself, um, and uh, doing his own consultancy and now doing public speaking was just down in Sao Paulo. Uh, long, long time friend of mine, absolutely love him. Uh, and actually, uh, I mentioned Ramp of uh, Boston, uh, Fred Schumover of uh, Insight Squared uh, delivered a keynote address. Uh, at the event and 
he literally not only uh, from an op side, but even as a hip hop head, uh, really just touched me with drawing in a, a pop culture reference to explain sales ops. Uh, he quoted a Wu Tang Clan slow blues uh, with "Life's ill, don't get it pretzeled. I can't show you, but I'll leave a stencil." I'm talking about what matters, not figures. I'm pointing at the moon, and you're looking at my finger. And I was just like blown away because that is, in essence, sales ops is getting people to look at what really matters and not just, oh, I'm in marketing. I want to look at MQLs and uh, did we get uh, how many engagements did we get? But what is the real story here? Are we having lower engagement but higher conversions? Are we having higher conversions but lower LTV? It's all about the holistic understanding and somebody who understands sales ops, but also the power of lyrics and poetry. Fred is definitely somebody who, if I had a choice of somebody to have a beer with or lunch with when I'm in downtown Boston, he would be definitely the guy to hit up. It would be Fred. I'm going to try and find that keynote if it's possible online and we'll link it below. Um, sure. Okay, awesome. So, Anthony, as always, when we chat, I have like a whole realm of different sayings slash lessons, but here, here are my favorite. Um, the three, the, the way you kind of summed up sales ops almost off the cuff, people management, looking at the agent, telling a story, that was incredible, um, about your, your failed organization or even your business being a sailboat and having incremental improvements rather than a race car. Um, and then here, I've had, I haven't heard this before, when trying to get buy-in for a process or a tool, um, that any resistance you're going to get is essentially lost revenue. So any changes you make in sales ops really need to, to understand or minimize the resistance you're going to get from the team because that is literally people not selling, developing business. So there we go, Anthony. <laughs> any, any other gem you think I missed, apart from the Wu-Tang Clan lyrics? <laughs> Honestly, not off the top of my head, but it's it's absolute pleasure to speak with you, Tom. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity and uh, being able to uh, speak about my passion. <laughs> no worries. Anthony, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.